Hey, take just a second, okay? Just a second, maybe two or three. Look to the person next to you, and this is what I want you to, to mention to them. Share with them, what is your favorite Christmas special or story? You know, like, like Rudolph has been on for like every gazillion years. But what is your Christmas favorite Christmas special, TV special, or, or story? It's just part of your tradition. Go ahead and, and share that. Right. Hey, did anybody, I've got a question. Did anybody say Gift of the Magi by O. Henry? No, no, no. Yeah, okay, yes, yes. We get. If, you, if you're familiar with the story, I'm not familiar with the story. Let me, let me just share this with you. Otherwise, let me remind you. Uh, short story. Uh, beautiful young couple, Della and Jim, love each other very much. Uh, dirt poor, though. And it comes Christmas Eve, and Della is looking for a gift for her husband, Jim. She's got nothing. She's got $1.87. And what in the world do you buy with $1.87? And, and this, but she has her eye on something special. See, see, Jim has got this pocket watch. It's the only thing of value that he has. But it's, it's got like a string type because he can't afford a chain. And so she's going to buy him a proper chain. But you can't really get one with a $1.87. So she goes to the hairdresser. And, and Della has got beautiful, long, silky hair. And she sells it to the hairdresser. Gets her chopped pretty, pretty short. But she gets 20 bucks, and so she gets her money, and she goes and she buys this beautiful platinum chain for Jim's watch, and she goes home, and she's fixing dinner. It's Christmas Eve, and she's excited about her gift, but she's wondering what Jim's going to think when he sees her hair or lack thereof. And so later on Christmas Eve, it's a little bit late, Jim comes home, and he sees Della cooking the meal, and he kind of turns ashen. And she's going, oh, no. And so she shares with him that what she wanted to do is buy him a gift, and she didn't have any money and it wanted to be she needed it to be a special gift so she sold her hair to buy him this and she presents him with this beautiful platinum chain for his his watch well Jim is still ashen and he shares with Della I really wanted to get you a gift but I didn't have any money so I took the one thing I had of value my watch and sold it to buy you this and he presents to her a gift of hair combs that she's not, obviously not going to use. So, now these folk realize that though these gifts are incredibly impractical right now, they're very special because they demonstrate how much the other person would sacrifice, how much the other person loves them, right? Sometimes the significance of a gift is uh, dependent on the amount of sacrifice the other person has made to get it for you. This is why parents put those pictures up on a refrigerator of, we can't even tell what they are, but our kid made it for us, and so we know it's special and it means a lot to us. Christie's isn't going to auction it anytime soon, but it's important for us because it demonstrates love given to us. Sometimes the significance of a gift is dependent on the sacrifice. Now, sometimes the significance of the gift is, is dependent on the practical availability or the use of the gift. For example, I've got a friend, Randy, who really needed a kidney. He was looking at years of dialysis. Um, you know, you're grateful to be alive. Great, Randy, great disposition. But multiple times a, a week, hours, it's just, just chained to, to that. Well, a good friend of his... Matched, gave him a kidney, whole new quality of life. 
I mean, it was great sacrifice, but incredibly practical. I mean, it changed his, his life completely. I've got another friend, Carrie, uh, after she graduated from college with me, uh, diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, she needed a bone marrow transplant. It was the only hope she had of life. Her brother, a good match, uh, gave her that. Um, sometimes the significance of the gift is dependent on its, its, its use, right? It's practical ability. Well, well, God sacrifices much, gives an incredible gift, one of life, to his people, Israel. Uh, Isaiah writes in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 1, he shares this with us, though, about his people, about God's people. Check this out. God's talking. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And this is what God says. Children have I reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. He's saying even the stupid donkey knows who its owner is. Even the ox knows where it's supposed to be, but not my people. They don't. This is all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. You know, this is where the book starts, right? You can see where the book of Isaiah is going. Okay, this is the very beginning, and sure enough, it goes this direction. And throughout those first eight chapters especially, although it's throughout the, the book, speckled with instances of how things have been so corrupt in, in Israel. Now, it's interesting, when you look at the Bible, uh, there darkness, when you come across that in the Bible, often, not always, but often, it's a metaphor for God's absence, for God's judgment, for a lack of blessings, darkness. Meanwhile, light, on the other hand, a metaphor of God's presence, of God's blessing, of, of, of God's, God's gifts. Well, throughout these first eight chapters, you'll find the prophet often referring to Israel, what's going on, 740 B.C., time of darkness. Now, 1000 BC, King David was on the throne, and Israel was like a powerhouse. You know, Israel led the Mediterranean world. Israel was the leader financially and politically. The neighbors were blessed by Israel as long as they didn't attack her. Uh, Israel was was under King David. It was it was uh, God being honored and glorified. The nation working as well as a nation can work. Well, here you got 740 B.C. Isaiah is, is writing, Ahaz is on the throne now. Now, Ahaz has David in his blood, but he does not have David in his heart, right? And, and Ahaz's heart is dark. Ahaz thinks that old fuddy-duddy religion, we got we to gotta improve it. And so he shut the door of the temple. He's got the, all the people are worshiping Baal, uh, the once powerful nation of, of Israel, the once safe haven of Israel has become a social justice dumpster fire. If, in fact, you are a vulnerable person, if you are a child, if you are a woman, if you are handicapped, if you are elderly, if you are a slave, if you do not have money, 
then may God help your physical well-being because they are not going to because life is cheap at this point in history. Everything is crashing. All the infrastructure spiritually is gone. It's, it's, a, it's a dog-eat-dog type of world. Their, their enemies are not just rattling their, their sabers. They are closing in on them. Famine. It's, it's just a mess. Darkness. Darkness. God's judgment. Darkness. And you would think after eight chapters of this kind of thing, darkness, they've blown it, they've blown it, that God would say, therefore, they're done. Forget it. They're on their own. But what's he say in chapter nine? Fascinating. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. What do you mean no gloom? He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Let me just point this out. This is kind of a side deal. But as you read the prophets, this can kind of be confusing to us. He's talking about a future event, but he's using past tenses. And that's kind of a uh, literary device that the prophets often use. They are so sure of this happening that they use it in past tense. But don't let that uh, side rail you. This is, is, is going to happen in 740 years from this time. This is when Jesus is born. He says that the, they will say this great light. Remember, the great light is a sign of God's presence. It's a sign of God's blessing. It's a sign of God's abundance. It's a great light. Right? So, so he's going to go on in this, this chapter and tell us that this great light is going to be characteristic of, of unparalleled, undiluted, unadulterated joy. Just pure joy. Which is something the folk have never had. And he tells them that, that this light is not just going to bring joy. It's going to bring uh, freedom. It, it's going to bring success. And it's, it's not like money-mongering power success. It's freedom from any, any limitation. Full potential. I have this feeling that deathbed regrets usually a sign of potential that was not achieved. Well, that oh, full potential. You will reach it. You will be on the top. This is. He then tells us that this light is also going to be uh, bring usher in peace. There's going to be all the accoutrements of war are done. Any enemy you might have, anything, anything, uh, material or immaterial, that could impinge on your well-being, on your flourishing, is gone. And so the folk have got to be going. Well, I'm top. I mean, this is uh, amazing. I can't, I mean, this is, this is pretty amazing. Tell us more about this, this light, Isaiah. When's it coming? Now, Isaiah's already said something amazing. He said that this light is going to come through a baby. A, a baby. And he tells us in, in chapter 7, verse 14, something, not a normal kid. He says, this will be a sign to you. The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I don't know if you've thought about virgin birth any time recently. This is the kind of year you probably should think about it. But if you do, it's going to make you scratch your head in a major way. I don't, I mean, I understand God and all, but a virgin birth. These people here were not ignoramus type people. These were people as intelligent as you and I are. They had never seen this before either. A virgin's going to bear it. A child? What? But then this next line is even more crazy for them. You're going to call his name 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. This baby is going to be God. Now, if you think about all of that, of course, it would almost have to be a virgin birth if it's going to be a God and not just kind of a man who's a nice guy. A God sort of man, I guess you have to have that. There's no other way you could have pulled this one off. But still, they've got to be scratching their heads. What? And, and here Isaiah tells us that this baby's going to give us the great light and he's going to give us the joy and the freedom and the, and the peace. And then he tells us something else about this kid. And this is the verse we've been camping on the last few weeks. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born. And tell us more about this baby. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He's going to be in charge. And he'll be called... And this is his name. This is not his names like formal titles. Like, hello, my name is Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What's yours? That's not, that's not the deal. This is who he is internally. This is his DNA. This is what he's about. This is his mission on earth. This is who he is. Wonderful Counselor. We talked about that three weeks ago. Supernatural leader. Supernatural wisdom. He knows you inside and out. He knows exactly where he wants you to go. He knows what dangers are down the road. And he will lead us accordingly. Something they didn't have with Ahaz. He's a wonderful counselor, supernatural uh, leader. He's mighty God, all power. If, if If wonderful counselor was all wisdom, this is all power. There is nothing that can come in your way. There's no Assyrians. There's no famine. There's no plague. There's no as. There's nothing that can come in your way that's stronger than his power, this one coming, almighty God. He's also the everlasting father. He loves you the way a parent would love their child. You know, if he's just all powerful and he's, he's all wisdom, but he's not loving, it's kind of a, that's kind of a dangerous God. But he loves you. And if you realize... That he's your wonderful counselor, that this one coming is mighty God, that this one coming is everlasting father. The result is going to be this fourth, this fourth name, that he's the prince of peace. Prince of peace. That's, you know, this is a, a, a fascinating title, prince of peace. How come not prince of love? How, wasn't Jesus, how come not prince of justice? How come not prince of second chances? He does all the, the word peace in Hebrew, shalom, it's a heavy word. It's like a, a neutron star type of word. You know, just a little bit big. It's a very heavy word. Um, shalom, it means not just an absence of war, which certainly includes that, but it means the world in its perfection. The world the way it's supposed to be. It, it, it brings about a, 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 a inner peace, a, a, a soul at rest, a uh, emotional equilibrium, because the world is the way it's supposed to be. So walking down the street, and I see you, and I say, hey, how you doing? Actually, if I'm Hebrew, I'll look at you, and I'll say, hey, shalom. Okay, what that means, what I'm wishing on you, is may your world be what it was supposed to be. 
May your motivation internally always be pure, and therefore may it never be misinterpreted. May your reputation never be disparaged. May uh, you never cross paths with mean people. May you, you win every lottery. May your health and your children's health always be perfect. May every person who, who crosses paths with you leave knowing that they've been touched by an angel. May you, your life be exactly what it was supposed to be, where the joy level is, is at the peak and everything is positive, is tops. May your life be the way it's supposed to be, the way it was supposed to be. Shalom. That's shalom. That's a big thing. That's huge. And if everything is like that, then internally there's, there's, great, there's great peace. That's what that was. That's what they were wishing. That's what they were seeking to bless their people with. Prince of Peace. Well, I think that people in Israel by 740 pretty much had given up on peace. I mean, they're kind of like just hoping that they would get bread the next day. They're just kind of hoping that their kid doesn't catch that sickness that's running through the the city that's killing everybody. They're just hoping that when the enemy breaks in, he will kill them quickly instead of torture them. This is what they got to hope for. This this idea of shalom is like a fairy tale. I think they've given up on that. I think for, for our world... People pretty much have given up on that idea. Uh, William Golding, humanist, right after World War I, he was convinced that mankind had, had learned his lesson and that with all of the corporate uh, intelligence and wisdom, we would usher in utopia. Mankind would usher in utopia. It would, earth, would shalom would be here and mankind would bring it in. And then World War II happened. And Golding did a 180. And he writes his classic book, The Lord of the Flies. You remember, remember the book? You got, it's World War II. You got a plane filled with choir boys and the plane is shot down near a deserted island and somehow the kids all make it. And when the, when the book starts, you see these kids, these choir boys, all kind of walking on the beach in perfect formation, wearing their robes, singing beautiful multi-part harmony songs. It's gorgeous. And you see them, they're they're organized and they're all together. But as the book goes on, they they, they start separating into tribes. They start fighting with each other. When they go to kill food so they have something to eat, they start taking great pleasure in torturing the animals. They start killing each other. They've taken away their choir robes, their long six gone. They're putting on uh, war paint now. And all Golding is saying, he's saying, that's mankind. Saying this idea that we're going to bring in utopia, that we can usher in shalom. No, no. Mankind left to himself, that's where we're going. You get mankind out on a desert island, no other influences, just whatever it is that's inside, that's where we're going, that's what we do. No hope. I think that our world has pretty much joined William Golding, not a whole lot of optimism about the future. Maybe there uh, shouldn't be, humanly speaking. But but here's when he said that the Messiah is coming, this one who's the Prince of Shalom. This is a big thing. Well, he's he's gonna come. He came in seven hundred forty years from this time. 
And he, he started his task fulfillment by dying on the cross in your place and mine. He died for our sins, the, the thing, biggest whole thing that created all this mess. I uh, conquered hell, took the entire wrath of God on his body for you and for myself. Uh, then rose after three days. Uh, after 40 days, ascended up to heaven, and we're waiting. And when he comes back, if we could read Isaiah 50 through 66, when he comes back, he's going to usher in shalom. I mean, this is really going to be, this is not fairy tale. This really will be what he's bringing. This is the world he's bringing with him. But problem is this, for you and for I, Jesus died over here. He's ascended. He's coming back. And this is when he'll usher in his shalom. But we got a big gap going on, and we're like right in the middle. And reality is, we don't live in shalom today. Think for a moment, what would a world of shalom look like? Well, no fear, because there are no enemies, right? So you've got uh, no use for military or police or, or firemen. Or, or no, no use for doctors or, or surgeons. There's no chiropractors or, or nurse, nurses or counselors or therapists. There's, there's no ambulance drivers or lawyers or judges or, or prison systems. There's no fences or locks or security guards. There's no needles or IVs or eyeglasses. There's no misunderstanding. There's no being misunderstood. There's no mean people. This is shalom. But we don't live in that today, do we? If we don't have our military and police and, and medications, this is a good word. The world's going to be a whole lot worse than what it is. So here's how do we see Jesus as our Prince of Peace today? I mean, we're glad he did for us what he did, and he's coming back one day to usher in shalom. But in the meantime, what do we do? How do we get peace? Can we get it? Can we get it? Can we have the internal calm, that internal Security, that, 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 that quiet confidence, that soul at rest. Well, the world would, has its ways of how we can get it, right? First thing they say is, is pretend. You know, pretend like I got my life in control, that everything's cool. But inside, I know, I read the headlines. And it doesn't look good. And I've thought through the ramifications and the implications. And it's, it's just going to be a big mess. And I look at, at, at the future for my, my children. I look at, at my own, and, and there's just anxiety. And I'm, but outside, I'm cool. It's calm. I'm pretending. Or maybe the world would, would, would push us in the, the way of denial. Well, I just don't even think about those things. Just happy thoughts, man. We're the power of positive thinking. We're not even going to think about those things. We're not going to think about reality. You know what I'm saying? Because, because it's too scary. And if I, my mind goes there, then it's just, whoa, bad, because it is bad. So we just, we just pretend, we're just going to deny it. Or we go to uh, Barnes and Nobles and we look, find a book on uh, how to reduce anxiety. And it's got several, all kinds of techniques. Techniques are a cool way, I guess. Well, mindfulness is a big thing today. Um, relaxation, those, that's okay. Breathe slowly. Oh, let, empty your mind. Don't really do this. Right? I'll put all y'all to sleep here. Uh, everyone starts snoring on me. Uh, empty your mind. And, and, and all of these things have the same MO. Basically, don't think about reality because, because there's no solution for that. 
<laughs> no one has a solution for that. And if those things don't work, then what you next can try in our, our culture is pills, prescription or non-prescription, alcohol, um, where basically you just get your mind into a state, you know, the reality with your mind is just too much. Your mind can't handle it. It pushes you to the edge, and so you've got to dull it somehow, right? So that's, that's a key way to do it. Or accepted in the um, evangelical church is the non-drug drugs, right? The, the, the internet cat videos. I mean, how many cat videos can you watch, right? Well, I've seen 30,000, but I need another one because that way I don't have to deal with, I can just laugh because just laughing, and there's laugh, I love to laugh. Laughing is, is good, but it's got its place. Everything in the world should not be laughed at. There are issues you should deal with, but I don't even want to deal with, I just want to laugh, show me another cat video. And uh, maybe football games, maybe shopping, maybe eating, maybe my hobby. We've got the non-drug drugs that we just saturate ourselves with because it's the only way. All of them. Don't think, don't think, don't think, don't think. Is that our only solution to try to find peace in this world? Christmas time, Prince of Peace, we just got to wait on it? Uh, Or is it just a theological line in a doctrinal statement? What? There is a way, obviously God's way, and it's applying, basically, Isaiah 9, 6. You might look at it, you might say, well, uh, how, do you, how do you apply this? Because it doesn't tell me to do anything. Well, you're right. The application is not doing anything. It's just really knowing something. Knowing Jesus. Knowing who he is. Now, let me throw some dots out there. We're going to throw out some dots, then we'll connect them in a minute. So just stick with me. But as we, we think about this, first uh, aspect of, of peace is that Jesus is its source. Okay, you just got to know that the source of peace is Jesus. John 14, look what he says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. He says, no, no, don't go trying all the world's at- attempts of, of getting peace. You're not going to get it that way. Jesus tells you, you're not going to get peace the way the world tells you to do it. I'm giving it to you. And Jesus doesn't expect this to just be in a doctrinal statement somewhere. He expects this to be very pragmatic. Look what it does. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The peace he gives, he comes with a command right to appropriate it so we got to know that the peace is is from jesus this is not coming just because i'm a disciplined person because i can do the abc because i've read five different anxiety free books from barnes and nobles and i can do them all because even if you can jesus says not as the world gives am i giving you this peace we have a gift that he has given us to deal with this world, his peace that I think much of Christendom doesn't often uh, uh, appropriate. Um, secondly, this is fascinating. Jesus is the source, right? But the Spirit uh, develops this. Um, Galatians 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Just notice right here that the, the, the Spirit gives this, right? 
Again, it's not my rolling up the sleeves and making it happen. This is something that the Spirit gives. Now, we're going to have to sweat. Yeah, yeah, the discipline's there. We'll talk about that in a second. But most of Scripture, when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to growth, it is a, it's a two-sided coin. It's a two-sided sword. It's he has to do it or it's not going to get done. On the other hand, if I'm not sincere and doing everything I can, guess what? It's not going to get done. Again, just wait around for him to do it. And he doesn't say, well, you just try to make it work yourself. No, both of them have to be in line. But no, first of all, that the Spirit pulls this off. Second, next thing, number three, this is interesting. You grow in experiencing peace. The scripture would say, it's not like you have no peace or now you've got full peace. One moment you're a zero on the scale, a peace scale. The next moment you are a ten on the peace scale. Some of the lights just come on somehow and wham, there you are. Now I think you grow in it. Check this out. We just saw this verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You know, you have to ask yourself, why does he use the word fruit? Lots of... Interpretations on that over the years. But one of the interpretations that kind of strings through everybody is that because fruit is an agricultural thing, fruit grows. If, if you have uh, when a fruit when it starts, it just buds out of the tree. As long as there's the right fertilizer and water and sunshine and everything, it's going to grow. It doesn't grow real fast. It grows slowly. But it gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. As long as the conditions stay okay, right? It keeps growing. It keeps getting bigger. It starts to ripen. It gets sweet. Peace in our life, our ability to deal with this world, grows. It grows. It comes from Jesus. It's the, Holy, the Holy Spirit has to develop it. It, it grows. But, but check this out. Experiencing his peace is not a zap issue. He just gives it to me. It's an obedience issue. Uh, Colossians 3, Jesus, uh, Paul says, And let the peace of Christ, so this is a command, rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. We are commanded to let it. Which means we can easily not let it. Let the peace of Christ rule. For, for, the, for the Hebrews, your heart was a... Uh, it was, they didn't understand... It was not like they had a different category for the brain, right? It's the heart was everything of life. It was your decisions. It was your emotions. It was your thinking. It was, it was what, how you did life. Let the peace of Christ rule your, your hearts. It was, it was it. You say, well, I want to do that. But how in the world do you do that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I want to obey this. I'm going to let it rule, but I'm not, okay, rule. I'm not sure how to do this. Very next verse. Look, it says, let the word of Christ dwell on you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Here, here. The peace of Christ is directly related to the word of Christ. Peace of Christ ruling, word of God dwelling richly, same thing. The word of Christ, the peace of Christ, you know what, they're here. You cannot have peace without the word of God. It just won't be there. This is this is this is his plan. This is how he, he put it he put it together next. Now this is not Philippians four 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 through eight. I four eight and nine, sorry. But this is what he says. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, think about these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. First of all, God's always with us, right? If you're a believer, he's always the God of peace. On one sense, is the God of peace always with you? Yes. But is he practicing that peace in you? Is he bringing that peace to fruition in you? Well, that's conditional. And look what it says. Whatever is true. That's what you're supposed to be thinking on. Um, word for, for, for true. You know, I tell you, I used to be, a, I'm becoming less and less a, a news addict. Especially over the last year. Because I can go to one news, news web page. And I read this one thing, and then I go to the next web page, exact same day, news web, and something all completely different. It's just like these guys have got their target audience, and they're spinning the news for their target audience. And these guys have got their target audience, and they're spinning the news for what their target audience will look like or would like. And I'm trying to figure out, how can you really know? I was the editor of my school newspaper, and if you ever wrote with a bias, my sponsor guy, Mr. Prindle would beat it out of you. You know, listen, you need to be as, as, as unbiased as you can possibly be. Just the facts. Well, you don't get that today. Spin is all, it kind of runs the world. You say, will I ever know the truth? Well, Jesus says in John 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. And then he says this, John 17, 17, your word is truth. The, the interesting next word, what is honorable? When that word is used, it's, it speaks of um, something sacred, something not of this world. In the Old Testament, when this word is used, it's referring to the, the, the temple, or it's referring to the Sabbath, or it's referring to the law of God. Uh, when you've got whatever is just, your, your, your version may say whatever is right. The term is referring to what is right in God's mind. What is God's thoughts? What are God's plans? What are are God's hopes? What are God's values? Which, if I'm not mistaken, is right here. What? What Paul's saying is the way to peace. You want the God of peace to dwell in you? It's to think on Scripture. To think on doctrine. To think on the fact that there's God. Who am I according to God? How am I supposed to deal with the issues of the world? It's right in here. How am I to think of it? You see this? This is amazing because this is just opposite of what the world says. Don't think about it. Because we don't have a solution. So just don't think. And God says, no, no. The way to peace is to think. But you got to think on the right things. Uh, You find this, Psalm 119, 165. This is so cool. It says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. We grow in peace as we grow in his word. At great peace have those who love it. Jesus was the incarnate word. John 1, in the beginning was the word. Here is the written word to say, I love Jesus. I don't really love his word. We would never really say that, but just our schedule kind of shows that. There's just a discrepancy there. And if you're claiming this one, but you're not here, I would second guess this one a little bit. And there'll be no peace. 
Listen to this. This is fascinating. John uh, 16.33. This is what Jesus says. He says, These things I have said to you. These things I have said to you. John 16.33. These things I have said to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. My words give peace. Uh, let me just I'll give you one more text I'll give you some application and we'll be gone Hebrews 5 and, and as you read this just if the author was talking about you might he say the same sort of thing I, you, you be the judge in that he says about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain he's talking about doctrine since you have become dull of hearing for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Some of y'all been walking with the Lord many, many years. By this time you ought to be teachers, he says. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God, oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, get this, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. You can be skilled with the Bible. You know that? Not just knowing it, forget, but living it. You can be skilled with trying to discern and understand. Look what, look what it says. You can be skill, unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Maybe you got a gift of, of discernment. Maybe you're thinking you're just a real discerning person. That's wonderful. But biblical discernment only comes through constant practice. And you can't practice what you don't know. Constant practice of the word of God. I was a little boy, I don't know, six years old, maybe, sleep on my bunk bed. Uh, my, my, my Chicago, my room was shared with my brother right next to the back door, little house. One night, I'm sleeping on my bunk bed, and I hear this. I jump up screaming, oh, daddy, 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 someone's trying to come in the back door. My dad comes running, boom, opens the back door. There's nothing there. Closes the door. Son, there ain't nobody there. Go back to sleep. Oh, you're dreaming. Oh, I wasn't dreaming, but all right. So I'm, I'm, I'm laying on the bed, and all of a sudden, I hear this. Ah, daddy, 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 daddy. And, and my dad comes, and he's, son, and he's using some words I'm not going to use. And there ain't nobody there, son. Now go back to sleep. So I did it the third time, right? Strike three, you're out. So my dad was angry. And my dad said, son, come on with me. And so I went down with him, and he opened the back door. We were talking Chicago, dark, and he he threw me out. (laughs) There ain't nobody there. There ain't nobody there. And then we saw it. Our neighbor right next door. We were talking real, horses real close together. uh, Was up on his roof of his garage, which is probably, I don't know, 30 feet from our back door. Reshingling his roof in the middle of the night. I don't, I don't understand this. But he's banging and he's swearing and playing the radio and stuff. And then I think he'd heard my dad open the door and shut, shut down. But, but he was going and we just stared there and looked at that. When I was growing up, my mom and dad, this is my, my, telling my parents, one of the things that we loved to do 
is watch Creature Features together on Friday night. Now I was a little, I was a little five, six years old, but we watch Creature Features every Friday night. You know, boom, 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 and there's the mummy, and it was, it was all of these things. And I'm, I'm, I'm beating my popcorn watching this. And I got to tell you, for years, I hated to go to bed at night. Because I was scared to death. I knew when I closed my eyes, the dreams would come. And I knew what they were going to be. I was so nervous. Now, in reality, in reality, did I have reason to be scared? I said, Hollywood, my imagination, my neighbor, crazy neighbor, shingling. Did I have? No. But I wasn't living based on reality. I was living based on my imagination and and what I saw and what I heard and all the things around me and how I interpreted them. When we live our lives based on what we're seeing, what we're hearing, how we interpret these things outside of the Word of God. You know what? We, We have an anxiety that we don't need. Now... I gotta, I gotta say this. I, I'm not a medical doctor, and I'm not addressing anybody who has medical issues, anxiety disorders, and stuff. Don't quit taking your medications between you and your doctor, and all those things. But I gotta say this, and this is an Andy Stanleyism, but I love it. He says that in this life, none of us can ever be fearless, but all of us can fear less. And so whatever, wherever you are, whatever's going on, you can have less anxiety as we understand and we practice uh, who the Prince of the Peace is as he comes through his word. If we're not in it, we won't know it. So here, here's some, let me throw this out real quick. What's your plan as we look at 2018 to be in his word? What's your plan? You got in your bulletin today a New Testament challenge. Uh, pamphlet. You can pick up extras if you need another one at the information desk. If you're wondering about the Bible, Bible, two pieces to the Bible, Old Testament, 70% of your Bible's Old Testament. We're going to not even mess with that. this time. It's good, but we're not messing with that this year. New Testament, only 30% of your Bible. We're going to read through that only one chapter a day. You can do that. And so let me encourage you. To take that, most of us want to do this kind of thing, but we're not sure how. You have a plan now in front of you or at the info desk. Uh, engage with with that, and we'll come back to that one more and more. Second thing is knowing that that we need to be deeper in the Word of God. What we're st- doing in January is we're going to a- a- implement. Uh, sermon notes that we'll be putting into your bulletin every Sunday. We're going to try this for, for a while and see how it goes. I'm pumped about our series in January. First series uh, kicks in mid, mid-December, mid-January, actually. It's the seven deadly sins. And really, they are the seven main uh, landmines that hell has set for us. If you can avoid these, uh, you can deal with a lot less scars in, in life. And so I'm, I'm pumped about this series. But we're going to be incorporating some substantial notes. So just be thinking about that. Be planning on that. Bring your pen. Be prepared. And for anybody here who says, I learned just as much without writing down, you're lying to yourself, right? Be Go to college and try to pull this. Yeah, I'm not taking notes. I'm just going to listen and see how I do. Well, you're going to fail. We, we learn much more when we, when we write it down. So, so plan on implementing this. Third thing, and there's lots of ways, but let me just... Uh, some of y'all are very involved. That's good. Some of y'all may be too involved. And talk to your spouse about that one. 
But some of y'all are probably not involved on this level at all. Okay? As far as being in a life group, as far as being in a men's study or a women's study. And I know, I know how it goes. Yeah, we tried a life group that 15 years ago, and there was that dysfunctional person in there, messed everything. I'm never going to do that again. Well, you know, give a little grace and forgiveness. It's been 15 years for crying out loud. Get back. You can join up a life group in January. You and your spouse or single go together uh, and, and open God's word and learn. You can be a part of a men's study. And you might say, well, they don't fit my work times. Well, I don't think so. We've got them on Monday morning. Uh, Monday, uh, Monday evening, right? Yep, good. Monday evening, and so that will w- work with you. And if that schedule does not, your shift working, whatever else, you can go. Th- you can go Thursday morning before work. We've got two different studies for women. We've got Monday evening. That's kind of convenient, right? The gals can, guys come as a couple, and the guys go one way, girls. You can do that. Or Tuesday morning. Now, we're not going over all of what those studies are. You're not going to remember it anyway. Christmas is next week. I got all that. But I want you to be thinking, planting the seed. You know what? 2018. I'm not going to work off of I'm too busy or I got too many other things going on. I'm going to make a commitment to know my God. If, you, if you're... If your commitment is to know the Bible, it's, it's not going to last. If your commitment is, I want to know my God through the Bible, it'll last. And so that's your commitment. I'm going to do that this, this year. Be, be praying th- that route. Because as we know, here's, here's the truth. If you know Jesus through his word, you know peace. If you don't know Jesus through his word, you don't know peace. That's, that's the reality. And to be people who are people of peace, it comes through knowing him.